Welcome to Art for All, sponsored by Sketchbook School. As a thank you for joining us, I'd like to give you a free ebook and our monthly newsletter full of tips, recommendations, and other cool stuff. Just head over to sketchbookschool.com to claim your freebies and to learn more about our classes and workshops and our membership program. We believe that art is for everyone, and I hope our podcast inspires you to create and explore your own artistic journey. Thanks for listening. On with the show. As soon as you begin to question yourself and think it's going wrong, you get out of that creative zone. And once you're out of that creative zone, the harder you try, almost the worse it gets. I actually embrace that hot mess time because I know that means I'm, I'm getting through my process, I'm working through it, it's a necessary step. I make so many discoveries that I can bring with me to get better and better. And it's all just part of the process. Welcome to Art for All, the Sketchbook School podcast. I'm your host, Danny Gregory. I'm the author of a dozen or so books on art and creativity. And I'm a sketchbook artist, and I'm also the founder of Sketchbook School. In each episode of Art for All, I invite a friend to talk about things that matter to us. It's the sort of unhurried conversation that we just don't get enough of these days. I hope you'll enjoy joining us. Today, I'm going to be talking to Seth Apter. Seth is a mixed media artist and a teacher. He's also a former psychologist who practiced for decades and then gave it up to focus on his art. He's taught at Sketchbook School, and he'll soon start a new class in our Spark program. I've known Seth for many years. He's a calm and thoughtful presence, and I always learn so much from talking to him about art and teaching and life. So one thing I've been thinking about is... I feel like a lot of what I do is encouraging people to make art because they're afraid to make art. Like, I feel like that's kind of like what my function has become is just to be the sort of first facilitator. I'd love to know what your perspective is on that struggle that people have, the obstacles that we create for ourselves when it comes to creativity but where do you think it comes from in most people, people who are afraid to sort of take that first step into making art? I think it's probably a combination of their experiences in the past, either with teachers or family parents. And equally now, I think it has to do a lot with social media and the presence of so much artwork seemingly so good that they're being bombarded with every day. I think it's really, really hard not to make comparisons, no matter how confident you are as an artist or a person. So I think together there's that almost double hit that a lot of people that I've talked to experience. So in other words, you're seeing other people making art. So you kind of have more of a feeling like maybe you should, or it's a thing that people do. Whereas before the internet, you weren't that aware of what other people were doing in that realm. I was actually thinking almost from the opposite side of it, that people are seeing so many people put out picture after picture of amazing work, and they're actually more hesitant to create because they feel like there's no way that they could live up to that standard. Right. But so, the, yeah. the direction that you said is equally valid because 
the, there's so much more opportunity now for somebody just to flick on a YouTube video and follow along with the steps and feel like they're not alone. And also that they have, that they don't have any direction to begin with that they actually do now. Do you think it's particularly true though of visual art that, you know, the other kind of creative acts that one could make, whether it's playing the piano or cooking some kind of a cool recipe or writing a poem, let's say, do you think that visual art in particular seems to have more of this kind of, you know, to be more fraught with anxiety and, and obstacle? I mean, I guess as a visual artist, I would say yes, but I wonder if, you know, two people who are musicians were talking right now, if they would have the exact same conversation. It's, I don't know, I think when I think about art, visual art versus, say, music, everybody has access and has always had access to music. Whereas visual art, I think the internet has really shifted it because while there were definitely opportunities for people to see art, you know, in some ways it was a privileged group who got to go to galleries and museums and a lot of people just never had that opportunity. And so now they do. So there's a different level of bombardment, I think, in the present time with visual art than maybe some of the other arts. Maybe it's also because with music, like you sort of understand that you aren't born playing the piano and that you are going to have to take classes and you're going to have to practice. And, you know, it's going to be a, a long journey. Like that's kind of understandable, but with visual art, in part because we all had experience with it when we were much younger, like we all made visual art at some point in our lives mm -hmm. that we have this more of this feeling that, that it's a gift and that if we're struggling to make anything that looks halfway decent, it's basically a function of the fact that we don't have the gift. And so therefore there's no point in, in you know, beating ourselves up because we're not just never going to get there. Yeah, I think there's probably a lot of people who think that for sure. Art, visual art is also, I think, in some ways different also because it's so much more accessible. I mean, everybody has access to a pencil or even a basic set of paints, whereas, you know, not everybody's going to be able to get a piano or a violin or a guitar or anything like that. So I think it, it I think it's distinct from that perspective. It's still Definitely. So, it's still so essential though, isn't it? I mean, making visual art is just a kind of a human act. It's like a pretty basic thing. I mean, I, and I also wonder when it comes to craft and even mixed media, that there's certain forms that we maybe pressure ourselves less because if it comes to say knitting a sweater, like you understand that you know, you have to start simply and you have to kind of work your way up to it. And, you know, you're not going to say, Oh, I just suck at knitting this. I'm just terrible. I mean, I, maybe you do. I don't know, but it just feels like it's, it feels like it's, a, it's a lot of work. It's, a, you know, it's a lot of work to do it, but you know, you can be reasonably good at knitting if you just kind of put in the work. Yeah. I think it probably varies a lot by domain. So with knitting, you know, you can follow a basic pattern. You can learn a stitch. You can get better at it you think about something like glass blowing. And I think even for many 
artists, you know, the idea of starting something like that seems, you know, to me that would seem overwhelming and, you know, I, I wouldn't even know how to begin. Yeah. And I think there's so much gear and you need to go have a workshop and you have to, yeah. I mean, there's all that stuff. It's, it's, it's much, seems much more cumbersome. It's like, it's not as simple as, as, uh, knitting. As you yeah, say, but I but, agree with you about visual art. It, in, in some ways it's just so innate. You just think about, you know, kids do it without direction. They certainly at home, they pick up markers and crayons and just draw. And certainly we all do it in grade school. Think about how many people over the years have doodled while they're on hold, made little marks, which, you know, has become like a whole domain in art right now. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I think it's just different. Maybe, maybe in, in a weird way, singing, vocalizing is crosses that too, because we all do that. You know, we all, we all do that. Even people who's, who are self-professed poor singers will sing with the radio, in the shower, whatever. Right. I mean, I think there's a category of things of, I can't blank. I can't sing. I can't dance. You know, mm -hmm. I can't cook. I can't draw. I can't whistle. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's <laughs> definitely, there's definitely like a, a can't as opposed to, you know, when, I mean, I always say to people when they say I can't draw, I just say, well, maybe it's because you don't draw. But when it comes to singing, like my wife is, naturally a really good singer and she's taken singing lessons and when she sings right. it's just like whoa like that's yeah and i wouldn't even sing along with her i mean but then again you know we could be driving in a car and the song comes on the radio and we'll both sing along with it yeah it's like whatever i i'm fine with it not sounding good it's it's the fun of doing it exactly it's not it's not about the quality it's about the action which is actually a lesson for any artist a visual artist Obviously, you want your art to look good, but really, so much about about visual art is about the practice and the pleasure and and the bumps also. But as as opposed to the outcome, I think that's also very hard for a lot of people to get in inside of just wrap their head around this idea that it's okay to you know play and just make art that maybe no one wants to buy. Like that's okay because there's a lot of pleasure in just making art maybe it's because we see the results but we rarely see the process so that you go is, right you go you go to a museum you go to a gallery you see these things and you go oh my god i could never do that it's like okay well somebody did this 500 years ago and and it was so exceptional that it's been preserved for 500 years so right, right, there's no reason yeah. that you should do that but yeah. you know but we have no idea like what is the process we have no idea what is the time frame? What is, what were, you know, I mean, I was, I'm always fascinated by the fact that Picasso, that there's this giant archive somewhere, I think in Paris of like literally 75 to a hundred thousand pieces of stuff that Picasso made that is not for public consumption. Because mm -hmm. a lot of it sucked. They, right. It was still all Picasso's. But you know, right. not everything that he made, and Picasso is the greatest. So not everything he made was great. But but we sort of you know we we judge these amazing geniuses by a small number of things that they made, right? I mean, there's a lot of sure artists. they're masterpieces, right? But you take right. someone like like Da Vinci, 
and there's sort of like four paintings, you know, this, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, that's Boy, true of a lot of them. Van Gogh, he made, right. you know, over a thousand. Well, I think that's, that's really, you know, I was talking about the internet before, and I think on a very different level, that's so true on the internet. When you see what an artist chooses to post, first of all, it might be one of five, 10, 20 photos that they took and they're picking their best photo. And it might be of five, 10 or 20 pieces of art that they made or journal pages or whatever. And they're just choosing the one that they think either is their best or is sharing something that they need to talk about or that they think might gain followers. And you're not seeing all these discards. It would really be interesting to have a, a, a week where everybody posts just their crap because we all have it. Crap week. Um, crap week. Yeah. How about I, that only post, I only post crap. My really good stuff. I hide. I know we have a good yeah. I, I only post well, crap. That, if you're posting your crap, I cannot wait to see the good stuff. But I think we have this misconception because we're used to seeing not only a, a curated group of pieces, but also often pieces that have gone through um, refinement, lots of you know, maybe edit editing. And you think about, say a band puts out an album and it becomes a classic album. And you think, oh, who? I mean, they're amazing. Who could ever be, who could ever be like that? And then you realize, well, you know, they may have, I mean, the Beatles, for, for instance, you know, the fact that the Beatles played in Hamburg for eight hours a day for, you know, 11 months together. And that then they, you know, eventually got around to putting out a record and then they put out other records. But there's also a lot of stuff that they made that hasn't been released. But you also see like the intensity of the focus, the dedication, the perseverance. And yet we judge it by the super polished, refined output. And then we com compare that with the thing that we made, which didn't go through that whole process. So, and I feel like one of the things that's, that used to be the case is that you didn't see, the public didn't get to see stuff until it had gone through an elaborate process of vetting and editing and refining and, you know, other producers coming in and sound engineers and all the other things that go on. Now you can pull out your iPhone and pick up a ukulele and play something, you know, sitting on the toilet and you can put it on YouTube as if it was for public consumption. It's like that the, the process of refinement is, but that's also built expectations for us, right? So we expect things to be of that quality. Whereas sure, the bar has been set unattainably high for somebody who doesn't have access to a team and equipment and time. It's just unrealistic that most people would ever even get there. Right. Because the, that team is only available to the select group of people who the process have decided is worthy of that investment. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So again and again, we're comparing ourselves and, and the problem is that we're not on that continuum. We amateurs are not on that continuum. It's, it's irrelevant really to what we're doing. That in fact, we're in a, we're on a different continuum and that continuum is the, is our own personal one, I think, which is how are you progressing 
or how are you changing or, or what are you going through in your own life, in your own continuum? That's, that's really the only relevant one. Yeah, that's, that's the that. one that, that I think you often try to get across and I do as well. You know, that comparison, it's, it's a, it's impossible the way you described it. And even for somebody who might be in the same exact position you're in, it's also irrelevant. It doesn't matter that that person did that or can do that. It's just not, it's just not relevant to you. But so many people have a hard time fully grasping that. And I know you always talk about the idea, you know, how do you get better at drawing? Well, you just draw. And I think that's so true with so many aspects of visual art. And I think there's, there's a lot of people who either are new or don't have much time who somehow have this expectation that they're going to put pen to paper or paintbrush to paper and somehow come out with something that's on the same level as somebody who's been doing it for years. And unless they have the time, take the time, have the dedication really, and the patience to get better at it by doing it, chances are they're always going to end up that way. So if they start another three months later after not doing it, they're going to have the same level of frustration if they don't then make a practice of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I, I also, when I think about your process, it often feels like you're enjoying the process without necessarily having uh, a deliberate intention when you're setting out to do things. And a lot of times I feel like I can look at your work or I can look at other mixed media stuff and I can say, am I supposed to be able to understand this? Am I supposed to be able to dissect meaning in the collage? Am I supposed to bring something to it that helps, you know, decodes it in some way or not? Like, what is it actually about? What is it actually about? You know, it's, I think it's so different to base, based on the artist's inspiration and approach. So, I mean, there's no question there's some artists who every piece of work that they put out has a deeper meaning, whatever that may be. It could be personal, it could be political, it, 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 it could be something that they never share or something that's very clear. But there are a lot of other artists, myself included, who that's not really the approach I take when I work. So I, I actually, I don't know, I won't say I'm amused because that's not really what it is, but sometimes I'll put a piece out that I've created that in my mind has no meaning other than, wow, these paint colors go really well together and this layer took me to that layer. And then somebody will write a comment and they'll have interpreted it at such a deep level. And, you know, I think that that's the reason why amusing is not the right word is because even though that wasn't my intention or my inspiration or my goal, that's part of what art is. Art is the impact that it has on the viewer. And one of the things about mixed media and abstract work in general is it allows the viewer to make their own choices and decisions about what it means. And I just love that. I mean, I just think that's phenomenal that five different people can see the same piece of work and have completely different likes and dislikes and interpretations of it. It's so like it's like exciting. The, yeah, there isn't necessarily a wrong or right interpretation of it. That's sort of irrelevant. There may be, the artist may have an interpretation when they made it and they may have had a message that they wanted to convey. You're not necessarily wrong or right in whether you were able to decode that. That's not really the point. But it's more like this is 
a thing for you to respond to. It could be like responding to a beautiful view. You know, you're looking at the Grand Canyon and you respond to it and you feel something and the person standing next to you feels something completely different. doesn't matter. It mean that either of you is right or wrong in it, but you take something away from the experience of engaging with it. And so it's almost like the artist's job is maybe to express a reaction to their own feelings, but that that becomes a, sort of a blank slate that you can take in, in whatever direction you want to, that that's, that's the process. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I, I, I often think of the last step of creating is having somebody else see the work that that sort of finishes up the process. I don't need to know what they think. That's not important. That's generally speaking, not important to me. Obviously I want people to engage with my work and, and resonate with it in some level and have a reaction. But just the idea that somebody is seeing and viewing what I've done feels like the final step to the process. So a lot so of times people ask me like, you know, do you have a hard time selling your work? You know, my, my sort of, quick joke answer as well. That's how I like pay my rent. So no, I'm happy to sell my work, but in all honesty, there's just something, uh, a sense of completion I get when I know that my work is out there. Yeah. I don't feel that way, <laughs> but I hear, I hear you. I mean, I think, yeah. I think so often it's interesting when you, somebody comes along and shows you a drawing or you see somebody's drawing and I see this a lot that people will post something and they'll say, I screwed up the hair or I don't really know how to use pastels or this is something that they'll say. That's like that when I call this sort of turd in the punch bowl, it's like, don't tell me what you think you did wrong. And is my reaction to that? Like immediately to say, Oh no, no, no. I really like it. And they'll say, well, yeah, that's really nice of you. And then it becomes this whole conversation about that, about whether you're, whether you're being honest in your appraisal and so forth. And you think, no, I mean, it's not really your business where I think of it, honestly. I mean, I, and, and also the discourse around it is kind of irrelevant to what my reaction was, you know, because you can imagine like going in and seeing like, imagine if Van Gogh was standing next to one of his paintings and you were like, oh, you know, this, I, I love these irises and he was like, well, yeah, but you know, I didn't really I have the right pain and I left this thing and he was just like, shut up. Like, could somebody get this, <laughs> exactly. this lunatic out of here? I want to look at the painting. I think that's the funny thing about the internet, internet though, in, in social media is that I think people post things and say things for very, very different reasons. And I think my own personal opinion is that a lot of people who say those kinds of things like, yeah, just not one of my best, or I, I really didn't like how this went. In my mind, they're doing that for the express purpose of getting the feedback, which in our community is so common. Oh, no, it's really good. Or no, it's awesome. I love it just as it is. So I think it's it's you know, sometimes consciously deliberate and sometimes unconsciously deliberate. That's what they actually want the posting to be about, as opposed to the work itself. I slightly disagree with that, because I think... I don't know that they're necessarily soliciting positivity. I think it's more that they're saying, 
I know I'm sharing this in public, which would seem to suggest that I think it's worthy of being shared, of being shared, but I'm actually really hesitant about it. So therefore I'm going to deprecate it in some way so that it doesn't appear that I'm blind to its faults or that I'm presumptuous enough to think that this is worthy of public display because public display is so easy now. It's just like you click a button and you upload it. And any, and, sure. But it's kind of like you're trying to offset that sort of, you think this is good kind of comment when in fact you may or may not think it's that good, it's like but you kind of felt like compelled your, to share it. Cutting yourself down before someone else cuts you down. Part of, partly, yeah. partly, but I mean, it isn't necessarily all... that, you, that you're being dishonest. It's more that you're just being, you know, unsure of yourself. Right. I mean, I, th I think it's probably all of the above. And I didn't necessarily mean to suggest that people were being dishonest. Well, I mean, one of the things I think about in the internet is that if you have a feed in any platform, it's yours. You can decide how you use it, which direction, and then it's up to everybody else to decide whether they're going to follow or join. So I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to solicit, even if not everybody's doing it, solicit positivity. Because sometimes people just don't have that in other avenues of their life. I hear so many people say, and it's not always gender-based, but it's, it, it's usually a, a woman who's saying, my husband's like, why do you make these? Like, what do you, what do you do with them? What is this? A, like, so what? And I think people look to a community online to be reinforced for their creativity, for their efforts, for their the quality that they put out because they just don't have that in, in real life. Yeah. I, th I think a lot of times anybody who would say that, first of all, is, is an ass, but anybody who would say that is missing the point. Mm. You know, it's kind of like saying to somebody, why do you go jogging every day? You just don't run very quickly. Right. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of other things around it. It's not, you're just looking at my, I don't know, my, my speed, but mm. the fact is I'm getting a lot of other things out of it. And I think, it goes back to what we were saying before. If you don't see the process and you don't understand the process and you're just looking at the results and you're comparing those results with something that went through a completely different process and was made for a completely different purpose, you, it's really easy to misunderstand it. And then because whoever did it is feeling vulnerable in the first place, whatever you say to them could easily, you know, you just have much more reverberation than you intended probably. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it goes it's, back to when we were little kids and we were just having fun drawing with crayons. And then some adult comes along and says, well, you don't, you don't really draw people very well. Or is that supposed to be me or something like that? And then you say, Ugh, I just can't draw. And then even though you're having fun doing it, you kind of feel like maybe I shouldn't. And then the fun is sort of sucked out of it. And, and that as, for the as next an 70 years, you're like that. It's true. I mean, as an instructor, I hear that constantly. And it's, I mean, Teachers, obviously, on so many levels have an impact, and we all remember, you know, our grade school teacher who was amazing, and we all remember the one that wasn't. But I hear that so often where somebody said, no, you can't draw the sun black or green or, and, or you, you will never, you know, you don't have any talent. And literally, that's a voice that this person has carried for 50, 60 years, and it impacts them still. So it's, yeah, that's a lot to unpack and a lot to also work against, to try to work through and just be more accepting. So you were a psychologist, I, I guess in a way you're, you still are, right? Um, even though you don't 
practice. I don't practice, but you don't practice, but you still you still think like a psychologist. You have that training, yes, yeah. right? But I think, I mean, what role does that play when you're a teacher in thinking about somebody's psychology? Because you're not you're not just teaching them a technique. You're not just taking them through the steps or explaining how materials work. You are invariably dealing with them as a human being. And how does that fit into what you're doing? And, and how do you how do you do it? You know, it's really funny where I ended up because when I first started creating art, it was only a hobby. It was later in life. And people often said to me, like, well, aren't you, why aren't you doing that in your psychology work? And I, I say, I always said the same two things. One is that, well, I'm not trained as an art therapist. It's not just like playing. You know, there's a theory behind it. But also, I never wanted to make art work because for me, that was my escape. So lo and behold, now that it is, it is my job, the irony is that I find that in a lot of what I do when I teach and also what I do on the online community, I mean, being a psychologist is, is helped me tremendously because sometimes I feel like I could exchange art for any skill because what I'm spending most of my time in, in a lot of classes, especially the live classes are more about helping a, a person become more confident or self-accepting or not comparing or willing to take a risk or staying true to their own voice, which is just all the things that supersede art. And it's so much bigger than that. So I think it plays a huge, huge, and I'm not, I guess I was sort of naive to that. I was like, Oh, now I'm moving on to a whole different world. And lo and behold, I'm not. And probably part of that is also because I, I just bring that just sort of my tendency to focus on that. I know there are definitely teachers who really are purely focused on technique. And, you know, if an issue comes up where maybe there's a person in the class who maybe is, seems particularly vulnerable or struggling or needier, the person who's teaching is not shifting or addressing that and just focused on technique, which is a hundred percent great. And, you know, and it works. And I guess for me, kind of who I am, I, I will end up shifting. Well, you're thinking about the person holistically in some way. I mean, if you were teaching driving, for instance, and you were like, okay, make sure you stop at the stop sign. You know, you don't necessarily expect the driving instructor to unpack your resistance to stopping and, you know, don't tell me what to do. And I choose to go left or whatever it is, whatever's in your psychology when it comes to driving is not the domain of a teacher, but when it comes to art, I think great art is about the person who made it. It's not mm -hmm. about their skillful use of the materials, although that may be an element in it, but the, the, the art that is transcendent is the art that is, you know, revealing their humanity. And that's, that's so easy to miss because I think, again, when we look at art, we think that that's what we're responding to. Oh my God, look at how, how well that was done. But that's not really what it is. That's not really what you're engaged with. You're engaged with something deeper than that. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think skill can enhance it. But sort of to speak to what you said in sort of two different ways that popped in my head. One is, you know, there's a lot of um, contemporary art that is from my, just my own personal view and perspective, I just find it not very compelling. It's, it seems cold. 
like there's a lot of artists who work in light and, and, and things like that. I, I, I don't connect with just, that's me. Not, I'm not saying anything about their work. Whereas there could be the most, you know, quote unquote, naive drawing, you know, where it's clear that that person may not have the skill of somebody who has been drawing forever, but it's like a gut punch, an emotional, you know, that little stick figure with the way the face is drawn or the, or the body's crumpled has so much personal impact. And you know, it's just really authentic and it's definitely coming from a deep place. That's the kind of art that really gets me. That's the kind of, kind of thing. Yeah, that moves no, me. I feel that way too. And I think, I think when we look at someone like Van Gogh, for instance, that's really what we're responding to mm-hmm. is his vulnerability, is his laying it all out there. Not that he painted a flower really well. And I think, you know, again, it's easy to, to miss that. And I keep coming back. I mean, I feel like every time I talk about art, I keep coming back to, the marketplace and the fact that the, the transact, the financial transactions around visual art in particular, creating scarcity, giving the sense that this is valuable because it's been given the seal of approval by the art establishment has really nothing to do with necessarily what we're engaged with and particularly what we're engaged with when we're making our own art, that those considerations are really just not the, not the, and, and, but they're easy. It's easy to feel like those are the criteria that matter. And a lot of times obscurity is part of that, you know, that it's, or, or some kind of intellectual process where we feel like we can explain it, uh, mm. you know, and explain what was going on there. And that that somehow, you know, is the, is what makes it valuable, what makes it special, what makes it expensive. And, you know, I think about artists who hire other people to make their stuff, right? I mean, that's, you'll, you'll hear about Very artists common. who, yeah. right. So, so and, the, and the feeling is like, well, that's cheating or that's not the point, or you weren't the artist. That was the art. I mean, the discussion's going on right now about artificial intelligence, you know, oh, yeah. basically you're having a computer making your image for you. What are you doing in it? To me, that's, that's comparable to saying like the director of a film, he wasn't, he didn't act in it. He didn't, he didn't run the camera. He didn't like the scene. He may not have written the movie. What did he do? But, but we also think of the director as really the, often the artist behind a film. You know, similarly, it's like, what does the conductor do in an orchestra? He doesn't play any instruments. So I think it's, it's much more complex than, than, than that. And what matters really is the, the sort of the human qualities and your ability to express them. And I feel like, for me as a teacher, that's also so much of what I wrestle with is, is this person getting better at drawing a tree or are they getting better at letting themselves draw a tree badly? <laughs> like, I feel like that's my job is to like, to, 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 to let you know that it's okay. It's better to draw a tree badly than to not draw the tree at all. Cause you're afraid of drawing it badly. Yeah. That's, that's really profound. And, you know, again, I say, you know, you're speaking to art, but that you can just take that so much bigger and apply that to life in general. Right. Because we could theoretically live, we could live our lives without making art. Yeah. But if we live our lives with making art and going through this struggle, it's, I think it's something that can make every aspect of our life better. I I totally agree. I, I, I always tell people, 
and I do a lot of live demoing online so people see in the process that there's a period of time in almost all my work where I feel like it's going south and it's just a hot mess. And I have learned over the years that that's just part of the process for me and for most people, I think, but definitely for me. And in the beginning, it used to shut me down. And I think it does shut a lot of people down. As soon as you begin to question yourself and think it's going wrong, you get out of that creative zone. And once you're out of that creative zone, the harder you try, almost the worse it gets. And so I've sort of come to the place where I actually embrace that hot mess time, because I know that means I'm, I'm getting through my process. I'm working through it. It's a necessary step. It means I need to solve the problem. I need to figure it out. And very often when that happens, I make so many discoveries that I can bring with me as I continue my work as an artist and try to get better and better. So, you know, the this, this struggle is real and it's all just part of the process. It, it's not a reason not to do it. And I think people in the beginning hit that wall and sometimes just don't get past it because it's not a pleasant feeling. You, you know, you right, don't but want in a way, But the struggle, as you say, the struggle is not only real, but it is the point. It's kind of like going mountain climbing or, you know, something like that, where you're going someplace and you're, and suddenly you, you're like, why am I putting myself through this because of the truths that you may discover about yourself or just the, the things that you find you're capable of or because you get to places you never could have gotten to without that struggle, all those sorts of things. I think in a way, as you're saying that, I was thinking about the internet, like we were saying earlier that the internet is this opportunity for everybody to display their work, but maybe part of what it really is, is this opportunity to do stuff in public that when you do a demo going in without a plan and you're just making something and then it starts to suck and there's people who have paid to watch you do this, watching you make something that sucks and you're supposedly being able to charge them to watch you do this because you're an expert and yet clearly what you're making is terrible. So what kind of an expert are you? And all those kinds of things go on in your head. Cause I, I know that because I go through it all the time too, but there's somehow that there's that a, the process of showing other people that you are going down, you know, into dark places in the process empowers them to do the same thing. But also it's, if you were too good at it, and there are a lot of artists who are just really good at this one thing that they do. You know, it's like you need to be pushed and somehow doing it in public and, and exposing your struggle is the chance to go somewhere you didn't think you could go. Maybe. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty vulnerable to put yourself out there no matter what level you're at. And the internet has given people that option. And I know there's people who share work who probably never, ever would have say shown it to a neighbor or a friend and just sort of kept it hidden. So it's, it has opened doors for people, you know, not just as an artist, but just emotional doors. But I agree with you. I, I think about all the, all the things that are meaningful in my life, bigger than art, including art, but bigger than art, are the ones where there was a struggle as part of the process or fear about approaching whatever activity it was. This is just part of what growth is. And, and, when you allow yourself to have that within your artwork, it, it just, you know, it's, it pushes you. You don't even know that it pushes you. It just, you're different after it. And the next time you approach it, you're approaching it, even if you're not aware of it, you, you're just approaching it as a different artist. 
And you may be and more confident because you sur- you're more confident perhaps because you survived the battle. Exactly. Yeah. You're scarred, but you survive, but you're, you live to fight another day. Yeah. And, and there's so, a lot of people who are very proud of their scars who put it, who put it out there because it's a, you know, it's a symbol, an outward, an outside outward symbol, public symbol of, of what you have gone through and how you have achieved. There's the, I was thinking, while you're talking about that, I was thinking about two people, one, Bob Ross and two, mm-hmm. Julia Child. So they're kind <laughs> okay. of like, like they're related characters in a way, right? Cause they're, yes. they're both, well, they're on public TV, but they're also sort of trailblazers in a way. And Bob Ross kind of would, would, he would, he was doing it in public, right? He's like, and he was doing it exactly in 30 minutes, which is also amazing, but he rarely exposed a sense of failure. Like he never was like, God damn it. I suck. He never, he was never like, well, that one didn't turn out very well. No, they, it always seemed like amazing. Yeah. In part because he did it multiple times. I mean, every painting that he did, he also like practiced beforehand before he did it on the air. But, but in a way, it's like he could be a character like that where you say, wow, Bob Ross, like he really showed me the vulnerability that comes from doing it, but he didn't. But Julia Child, on the other hand, you know, and there's this been this recent HBO series, which kind of revealed this thing about her, which was that she, her thing was, I'm going to screw it up. We think of French cooking as being like this incredibly exalted, rarefied thing that only like the greatest, you know, cordon bleu trained chefs can do. But I'm just a housewife and I can just knock it out and do it. And whoops, I dropped it on the floor and oh, well, brush it off and keep going. You know, that spirit is actually in a way, you know, much better. And I think more inspiring to people. Cause I think a lot more people ended up cooking because of Julia Child than ended up painting because of Bob Ross. Sorry, Bob. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. I think it's mostly- a lot of people smoke pot and, and sat back and watched Bob Ross paint that I think he's responsible for. He's like yeah, great yeah. entertainment to mellow out with, but and having nothing to do with uh, the person making art. It's like, I love his voice. Yeah. 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 There's so much, I mean, he's mythical. From that perspective. That's true. No, I, I definitely think when, you know, the person who's supposed to be the expert is vulnerable and, and that's so relatable. And honestly, like I, I'm, I always try to teach the way I make my art, which is there's no plan. Like, like seriously, you get what you get with me and who knows where it's going to go. And I don't have, usually have samples for my classes and, it's just because, you know, yeah, I'm going to teach you how to paint and how to collage and make layers, but I'm not necessarily going to teach you how to make this object because that's just not how I work. And I, I want to be as real as I can be when I teach and sort of recreate exactly what I do when I'm alone, because all I can teach is the way I do things. You know, I'm not the best at anything, but I am me. So if you want to see me, you're going to see me good and bad. And and the reality of it is probably you're the same. You know, you have a different me, but you go through those ups, you go through those downs, you figure it out. You sometimes throw your work out. And I think that's a really important lesson for people to, to see. Yeah. I struggle with it because I always feel like I'm supposed to be good at it. Although my thing has always been that I'm not good at it. Like I I don't (laughs) care. It's like, not good at it. You can't buy it. It's probably going to go in a drawer or in the trash or on a shelf. That's not the point. I like doing it. 
I have fun doing yeah. it and I have fun doing it if I'm not worried about it being any good. Mm-hmm. So do it with me. Chances are you'll make something better than me. I don't know. I mean, I certainly go through periods like that where I see some, somebody does something in one of them, like draw with me. They'll do something, you know, they drew the same thing I drew and I'm like, God, that's so much better than what I did. I Somebody's going to gonna stand up and go like, what's the story with this guy? Like his stuff sucks. Why is he on YouTube? <laughs> yeah, good question. Uh, that happens to me all the time where there's a student who's, oh my God, I wish, I wish, you know, I make that. And I often, you know, I would say it like, oh my God, like that's amazing. Like you should be teaching this class because that's what I'm thinking. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not putting on an act. I'm, I'm just doing what I do, but it's, but it is interesting about uh, all these words and authenticity and, and, and commercial things. Cause I've really thought a lot about this because there are actually three different kinds of categories of, that my art falls into. And I have done my very best to try to cross all three, but never the twain seem seemingly will me. The first one is, is art. So I just make art. I'm making art. I love my art. It's, it's my, it's my process. It's my style. It's my art. Maybe I'll keep it. Maybe I'll sell it. Maybe no one will ever see it. It's just the art I make. Then I make art for companies that I work with. So, you know, say I have a line of stamps and I need to make art to promote the stamps. I can never work in the same, with the same level of freedom, even though no one's telling me not to, because I am so conscious as I work, this has to promote this. And it completely, that, that like bottom line commercial aspect of it completely changes my process. And then the third is journaling. When I journal, my art is different than my art on say panels or, or paper. It's probably the freest because there's no, there's not even the inkling of like, I might sell this, which I know is in my head because that's what I do as a career when I make art. So it's really fascinating to me that sort of the direction and the purpose of my work really in my mind changes the outcome of it. And it speaks to what you said earlier about sort of the commercial side of things. And I find that when I get response, people respond generally speaking more to the work that's sort of more authentic and less like, even though it's me and I like it, that's promotional. Mm-hmm. Like people know, even if they don't know, they know. No, I think that's a, that's a really interesting set of distinctions. I feel like I can recognize the same, not necessarily those exact categories, but I can recognize those distinctions between work for hire, you know, where you right. and work for display and work for yourself. You know, that I think that an artist who, if you, if you take an artist who's going to have a show in a gallery, they're making art that is in some ways probably a reference to what they make for themselves, but it's designed to be more universal. If you then hired that same artist to do an illustration for you, it would be something completely different. And then, you know, you would say, well, that's pretty good, but can you make it blue over here or can you make it bigger mm-hmm. there? You know, and they're going through that whole process thinking about, I'm doing it for you. Right. And then yeah. the third thing of whatever they're doing for themselves is, you know, maybe after they're dead, somebody will see it and buy it, but that's not, it's, but that is often the root. That's the, the, the source for the other stuff. So when you 
do that stuff enough. And I think, you know, I think things like Instagram have kind of blurred that because I think Instagram was originally sort of designed to be, oh, I'm just working on this thing and I'm putting it out there. And then it became, well, here's my portfolio. And then it became like, how do I entertain you and engage you so that you continue to follow me? And it's again, those three categories of things are falling in there and, and blurring and getting confused. And, and I think in the end, that's how people are burning out. That's why I think Instagram is really in flames right now because, because most creative people are just, I'm just tired of always <laughs> feeling like I'm, out. yeah, like I'm a performing yeah. monkey on the stage constantly. Yeah. When there are things that I need space, I need to screw up. I need to make mediocre things. I need to take risks. I need to go in different places. And I just don't need you watching me. Right. You know? And I don't need to feel like, you know, I just, there's a over, reason. Over the, over the years, this is a good reminder for me because I don't have one now. Over the years, I have designated journals before I start that will be ones that are completely 100% private. So it, even for me, when I have done that takes away this idea that I know floats around in the back of my head is, you know, oh, this, this might be cool on Instagram. You know, I got to take a shot of this. If I, if, when I know it's really for my eyes only, that is probably the freest that I am because it really, that that's probably the closest I am to when I was a kid and you're not, you know, no kid is thinking about like, is someone going to like it? Is it going to sell? I, I got to get a good shot for social media. Like it, that's not even, it's not even in their heads. I mean, maybe by the time they're five or six, but not like two or three. Now all these are, kids you, have TikTok accounts and they're all doing yeah, it. That's, that's, true. that's yeah. no longer the case. Like six months, the six months. Okay, when you it's, play in the yeah, mud. Once you're out of diapers, you're, you're, you better be working. it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I think this has been an interesting conversation. I'm kind of thinking that this is, I'm going to keep this private. This is not a, a podcast that anybody can listen to. So this is, I'm going to be, I'm going to burn this and it'll be like my, private, my private conversation. So we should my, all do that. Except you should save that avoid. line. You should just post if that. If you're hoping to listen line. to this podcast, you'll be disappointed to hear that it's been deleted or it's been, it's for, it's, it's a password only thing. I love talking to Seth. I hope you enjoyed it too. If you'd like to learn more about his work, visit sethapter.com or join his new class at Sketchbook School. I'll add his website in the show notes and in the description on YouTube. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next time with more Art for All. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. And remember, visit sketchbookschool.com and claim your free ebook and your monthly newsletter. Our community is always growing and we'd love for you to be a part of it. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on Art for All.